11. I'm so glad that you're here today. If you're just joining with us, we're in the midst of a series really exploring the art of belonging. That what we know our world is lacking is actually belonging. We're in this crisis of belonging where it's really hard to actually maintain the sense of being known and loved by others and also to find it. And so over the last few weeks, we've just been exploring this, and we began with really understanding that belonging begins with us knowing that we are accepted and belong to Jesus Christ, that we are a part of his family, that we are actually welcomed in, and there is no condemnation for those who belong in Christ, and that actually our identity has changed, and we're empowered to live differently. Last week, we took a look at then how we're also called to belong not only to God, but to a larger purpose or vision or meaning in our lives. And today, I want to add in a third piece to this, that we're called to not only belong to God, a purpose, but also to a people, like to one another, that we need to belong with each other. And so today, what I want to do is I want to explore how we might belong together. And to do this, I want to share with you what I think are the three kind of primary ways that belonging happens in our world, and then I want to share with you actually a biblical view of belonging that is very, very different than how belonging happens in our world. One that's more about God's grace than other things. And so to begin with, I want to share with you where I see our world currently happening with belonging. And I think it happens primarily in three ways. That belonging in the Western world happens through things like membership, fitting in, or us versus them. I think this is how belonging happens in our world around us. Membership, fitting in, or us versus them. Okay? That membership is pretty obvious to understand. Membership and belonging is like where you pay your dues for something, you show up, and you kind of belong. And this can be anything from like a library book club to like a D&D, you know, group community game thing. I don't play that, so I don't really know much about it. But I know that stuff happens, right? Where you kind of show up and you belong to something based on membership, right? That's one form of belonging in our world. The second form is really what we took a look at on our first week, that you can belong to something through fitting in. And what this is, is where as long as you kind of agree and behave and think the right things, you can be a part of a group as long as you don't rock the boat too much. This is really a common form of belonging in our world. And it can happen in like high school, office spaces, families, even sometimes churches, where you seek to fit in with the group around you to make sure that you belong. The third form is something we really looked at last week where I share with you that I think our world really functions and runs according to hate. That that's like the subtext of like everything. The third form of belonging that is very prominent and prevalent in our world is us versus them, where you gather based on who you collectively are against rather than what you are actually for. And us versus them kind of belonging is all over the place. It's the main driver in politics, actually. You can see this, that the political kind of groups on both sides, what often draws them together is their hate for the other side. Not so much what they're actually for, just that the other side is the problem. It also happens in theology and in churches sometimes, where you focus in on the divisions rather than the common unity. It also can happen in families, where all of a sudden you scapegoat that we all agree this person or that portion of our family is the problem. Us versus them is a way for you to find belonging in our world. What I want to suggest to you is that all three of these forms of belonging, membership, us versus them, or fitting in, they're actually false or fake or shallow versions of belonging. Because once you start to see them and understand them, you'll notice this, that each and every one of them is not about being known and accepted and loved as you are, that's how we define belonging, where you're known, loved, and accepted as you are. Each one of the common forms of belonging in our world, and they overlap and meld and blend, they're all based on meeting some standard outside of you. Right? Like in membership, you have to pay dues or show up. 
And fitting in, the standard you have to make sure that you hit is please don't rock the boat or make anybody feel uncomfortable with what we've all agreed is the problem. And in us versus them, the membership that you have to hit, the standard you have to hit, is you have to agree that someone else is the problem. Right? So these actually don't help us to find ways of coming together. They don't help us to find ways of actually belonging to one another, certainly across difference. So today I want to explore a biblical vision of belonging that is transformative, that is miraculous, that if we put it into practice, it will honestly not only change our community, but the communities around us. It is deep and it is scriptural, and it's found in Acts 15. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts 15. I want to spend all of our time in this single chapter here today where this passage will explore and explain to us a different view of belonging and how God's grace can actually bring us together even with our differences, even with um, some of the challenges that we might face in our lives. Okay, so I want to take a look at Acts 15 together. And if you're not familiar with this chapter in the Bible, and I don't say this hyperbolically, this may be one of the single most important chapters in the entire Bible. Meaning, and I'm not saying that like hyper, hyper how did I, I just said that word, hyperbolically is the right word I'm trying to look at. It's like I don't talk all the time. Um, hyperbolically, okay. I want to take a look at this, not hyperbolically, but seriously, that if this chapter had not happened historically, here's what I doubt. I doubt I would be a pastor today. I doubt most of us would probably not be in the room today, that this chapter changed the entire course of the church where they were wrestling with who's in, who is out, how do we belong together, how do we come together with differences, and I want to learn from the early church, because here's what I believe. I believe we should put into practice what they did. Okay, so we're going to explore this here together. Let's take a look as they kind of wrestle with whether they should be building bigger walls, and one way to put it, or like bigger tables of invitation and welcome and hospitality. Here's what happens. While Paul and Barnabas, this is just verse 1, were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. And this is what they were teaching them. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. So here, right off the bat, this is kind of setting the stage for what's going to happen. We see the early church is really wrestling with who is included and who is excluded from church. What does it mean to be saved? What does like holiness and integrity and following God look like? And we can see almost right off the bat that there's like these two opposing groups that are arguing with one another. There are two groups. I call the one group the kind of conventionalists, and the other group is the reformers. Okay? And I'll explain what I mean by both. Now, the first group I would call the conventionalists is the group teaching that unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. I call this group like the conventionalist group because this was the conventional approach. This was orthodoxy in that day and age. This was the traditional approach. That back then, people thought that if you're going to follow Jesus as a Jewish follower, as a, he was Jewish, as a Jewish faith, that you should be circumcised. This was the standard kind of belief of the day. And what they're really arguing for is that to be saved, you need to be circumcised. And this is a big part of the scriptures. So, for example, we read this in Genesis 17, 19 to 14. Okay? This would be kind of the conventionalist approach or their, their thoughts. In Genesis, we read this. This is God speaking. Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants shall have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. Right? Each male among you must be circumcised. 
you can see why some of the conventionalist approach would not want to give up on this command of God, right? Because listen to what the text says right there. It says, you and all your descendants are to have this continual responsibility. That seems kind of important, does it not? Right? So we have this one group that is arguing to be saved. You have to follow this stuff. Jesus was Jewish. Our faith is Jewish. We need to keep with what was going on. We need to keep to orthodoxy and what we have always followed, and follow with me, what all of our t- scriptures share with us. Right? Because back then they just had what we would call the Old Testament, which speaks very strongly of the importance of following the law and this sort of thing. And then we have this other group. We could call them the reformers who are saying, actually, actually, all you need to do to be saved is to believe in Jesus Christ. Actually, it's all about God's grace, that actually Jesus fulfilled the law. We don't need to follow it in the same way. And this group back then would have been seen as like in some ways, like incredibly unorthodox. They would have been seen as radical. This was like a brand new thought and development. And there's all this division then between these two different camps. We see this in the text itself, where Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently that there's this real disagreement on what it means to be saved, and therefore, who is included and who is excluded. Paul is really arguing, Paul and Barnabas, as kind of this reformer group, what they're really arguing for is this, that people should be welcomed as they are. That you don't need to do anything else to be welcomed into the family of God than accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the King as the Messiah, you pledge allegiance to him, and that's enough. That people should be welcomed as they are. And this is causing all sorts of turbulence and problems and division and difficulty, right? And before we dive deeper into the story and how it's resolved between these two groups, or really about what does belonging look like, I want to just name this. I think for many of us, historically, we probably are on the side of like Paul and Barnabas, just agreeing with them. But if we are back in that day and age, I think most of us would actually be on the conventionalist side of the debate. I think that's probably where many of us would end up. Because remember, remember what the conventionalists are saying isn't that Jesus Christ isn't the Lord and Savior. They're saying, yes, he is the Lord and Savior, but you also have to follow the law. And they would probably be saying things like this because our scriptures are clear. We can't just overturn tradition. And we can't just accept people right where they're at. They need to do some things. I don't know if you've heard that, but sometimes people still make the same arguments today, right? So I think many of us would probably be on the conventionalist side of things. So I don't want to be too hard on that group, because what they're seeking to do is to follow scripture and tradition as they understand it. But it's causing this real division in the early church. And they do something wise. They do something wise. They decide to go to some elders and some people for discernment. Let's read this. So finally the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, because the conflict was so bad it wasn't getting anywhere. They were just debating and debating, and it wasn't moving forward. So they decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local elders, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. And this is what happens. It says this. They started to report everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. But here what we see in the text is what Paul and Barnabas are seeking to do is really to draw the circle of belonging bigger, right? They're seeking to include more people into what God is doing. But then there's a sect of Pharisees that stand up. This is that other side again. And they say Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. They don't want this circle of belonging drawn any wider. 
They don't want things to be diluted and changed. They want things to remain kind of as they are. And again, I do think we should have some heart for the Pharisees in this moment, that they're not just awful like legalists or bad people. They're seeking to live out what they have been taught and lived for their entire generation. And this is a really tense moment in the church, that the church here is really deciding about who's going to be included and who isn't. Who's going to be welcomed? Are we going to be welcomed as we are? There's going to be other things added onto it. And it is really, really tense. Because what do you do when your scriptures and traditions say one thing, but it also seems like the Spirit of God is saying something else? That's the tension, really, that the church is trying to resolve. So let's see what happens. Because I think how the church navigates these questions of Jewish and Gentile followers of Christ, it'll help us actually to learn about belonging together as well. So we read this. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, I'm sure it was a long discussion, okay, says this, Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. Peter's going to give kind of like a summary of what he thinks and where people should be moving, kind of the consensus. He says this, brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you uh, some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. Remember back then, Gentiles are basically anybody who isn't Jewish, right? So it says this, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe, and this is kind of his summary statement, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone want to say amen to that? Right? That we're all saved through that. I want to notice here what Peter does to seek to bring two groups that disagree over something incredibly deeply, two groups that have all this challenge and really disagreement, maybe even hate between the two of them. Right? It says Paul and Barnabas argued vehemently. I want to see what Peter does here to try to bring these th two groups together. He does three things. Okay? First, he names that God is active in both groups. Secondly, what he starts to do is he does not dismiss his tradition. And then thirdly, what he does is he seeks to draw the circle of belonging larger to include more people based on God's grace. I want to show you in the text. So the first thing to notice out, and this is the first thing to notice in this discussion, is that Peter really does actually name the fact that God is acting in both Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus. He's saying that God is active in both groups. So if God is acting in both groups, why should we be dividing? He says this, God knows people's hearts. And he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. That's what he says. He's made no distinction between us and them. Right? That part about following God, part about following God is actually transcending us and them. Anyone want to say amen to that? Amen. Right? Listen to what he says. He made no distinction between us and them. He's saying we're actually a part of something bigger together. And if God made no distinction between us and them, how dare we make distinctions between us and them, between these two different groups? Peter is just naming the fact that God is active in both the lives of Jewish people and Gentiles, so therefore, they should be able to come together because God isn't making a distinction between the two groups, so why should we? Secondly, what Peter does is something that we almost never do, that Peter doesn't devalue his tradition. Remember, Peter is really a part of that Jewish followers of faith, Right? That's his tradition. But Peter doesn't devalue his tradition in light of the new movement of God. But instead, he invites them to see themselves as part of something bigger. 
So he says this, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Here Peter does do something unique. Peter doesn't say that the Torah is useless. Peter doesn't say that God's previous commands were bad. Peter doesn't say that there's anything wrong with them. He simply says that they were incomplete and none of us could follow them. So why are we putting that burden on others? Peter does not dismiss the tradition and the past that he is a part of. And I think this is important, because I think often in our day and age, what ends up happening is that if you move or change or grow or uh, change your thoughts on something, we are often very quick, very, very quick, to dismiss positions we once held, to actually dismiss things we once agreed with, or dismiss movements we were once a part of. Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't say that anything was wrong. He simply says it was incomplete and that yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. He doesn't deny what God did in the past. He also isn't denying what God is doing in the present and in the future. And then the last thing that Peter does, he seeks to name the fact that God's active in both groups and that the tradition and the trajectory that they've been on matters. The third thing he does is seeks to draw that circle of belonging wider based on God's grace, where he says this. This is his summary statement. And we believe we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we believe we are all saved in the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That right now in that room, if we were there and there was arguments going on, there are divisions, there are factions, there are groups that are arguing with each other. Here's what Peter is seeking to do. He's seeking to remind them that with all their differences, with all their differences of opinions and thoughts and theologies and everything, that they all have something radically foundational in common. And it's the fact that they are all saved in the same way through the grace and the gift and the work of Jesus. Peter's trying to remind them that in all of their differences and even division, they do have something grounding that is there for each and every one of them. It's the fact of God's grace, that we are all saved in the same way by the undeserved grace of Jesus. That Peter names the fact that whether they follow the law or they don't, that whether they are Jews or Gentiles, that whether they are circumcised or not, he just says the fact that they are all saved in and through grace. That what Peter is seeking to do here, what he's seeking to do is to give everyone something larger to focus on that will draw them together rather than apart. Because this is just true. Focusing exclusively on our differences often ends up actually creating wider and wider gaps between one another. So Peter reminds them that God's active in all their lives. After this, the text says that Paul and Barnabas get up to share about the miraculous signs of God moving in the Gentile lives. They're going to affirm what Peter is saying, saying that God is moving in both these two groups. It says this, and everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told them about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And then James, also prompted by the Spirit, stands up and he speaks and he says this, and when they had finished, James stood and he said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time that God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken and he made these things known so long ago. And so then he gives his opinion as one of the original apostles. He gives his thoughts on the matter, and he says this, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning from, to God. I think that is a beautiful principle for every church to follow, amen? 
we should not make it difficult for anyone who wants to follow God to do that. Right? He's saying we shouldn't put up any weird obstacles. We should make it easy for people to be welcomed and included. We should seek to do that. He says this, instead, we should write and tell them, and he gives some principles for coming together here, to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from the eating of meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For every one of these laws of Moses has been preached in the Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. And there's lots we could unpack here, but here's essentially what uh, James is saying. He's saying the same themes as Peter. He reminds them that God is moving in both groups. He reminds them, too, that they have this commonality together. He asks them that we shouldn't make things hard for those who are coming to Christ. He says we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. He also gives some principles that will help the two groups come together. This is when he says things like abstaining from sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols and so on. And then lastly, James quotes from scriptures and says, actually, how this move of God, there is actual precedent in the scriptures itself. That essentially, what happens in this really tense moment for the church, because I don't know if you've ever been in a moment where the church feels divided or difficult. I don't know if anyone's ever, I don't know, walked through the last five years at all. Anyone, you know what I mean? It can be tense when those things are happening, right? When there's a lot of disagreement, when there's a lot of opinions and thoughts and division, it can be really, really difficult to find your way forward. And essentially what ends up happening in this divided moment of church history, back then, James stands up and he agrees with Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. And what they all agree with is that they should draw the circle of belonging larger and actually be committed on including people as they are. And the reasoning is really this, because God is active in their lives, so we should not stop people who are coming to Christ. We should not get in the way of that. And then what happens is an actual, real miracle. The church agrees. The church as a whole agrees to draw the circle of belonging larger. They agree in essence that what they're going to do is that it is better to be together, even with differences, even with the messiness and difficulties that come with that, that it is better off being together. And I honestly cannot overstate how miraculous this is. I can't overstate how important this is. That had this moment not happened, I don't think I would be here preaching today. That had we added in all these extra uh, regulations on how to follow Christ, I think that today the church would look radically different. But instead, what this small group of Christians decide to do is they decide to prioritize being together over differences. That's what happens in Acts 15. And I think this is what we need to pay attention to. So what do we see in Acts 15? I think we really see these different kinds of belonging than in our world. As I share with you, our world, I think, functions based on like membership, on paying your dues, or like fitting in where you agree not to rock your boat, or us versus them where you agree that the problem's always someone else. The early church, though, has a different way of belonging, and it's based on actually coming together, recognizing God's grace as being active in other people's lives. This is what provides the basis for belonging in church. It's the fact of knowing that God is actually active in your life, and he's active in mine, and that he is active all over the place. That the early church gives us this different picture of belonging where we come together with our differences because of the grace and activity of God. And this, if I can put it this way, this did not make things easier for the early church. It actually made things messier to include more people. It actually made things more challenging in many ways. It actually brought up even other disagreements. But what they realized is that even with all that messiness and challenge and all of that, that it is better off being together, even with our distinctives and differences. That what the early church seeks to do here is to come together and to belong with one another rather than to, rather than to divide over our differences. So that's my main point today. 
My main point is, is that if we reflect on Acts 15, if we meditate on it, if we just think about it, I think what we get a picture of here that I think we need to pay attention to, especially in our world, is that we as a church, we as a community, that we need to belong to one another with grace binding us together, even with our differences. That's the picture that is being painted in this early chapter of church history. That this church comes together, actually, even with differences, with grace being the thing that binds them together, that they just believe that they are better off together and with one another. And as I said, I do think it's a miraculous moment where grace brings people together who are really different. And I honestly believe that in every kind of generation of the church, in every kind of, I don't, yeah, generation would be the right way to put it, in every generation of the church, we need to make similar discussions. We need to make similar decisions with whether we are going to be a place that opens those doors wider so more people can come in or whether we close them down, whether we're going to be like the early church and actually agree that we are better off together even with differences and disagreements and all of that. But I think in a world that is longing for belonging, I think one of the most radical things we can do, one of the most radical things that we can actually do is to commit to one another and let grace bind us together. Essentially what I think we are seeing here in the Hurley Church is that we are better off together even with our differences. So what does this mean for us here today? I think what we see in the early church is this idea we are actually better off together even with our differences and coming together. Even though we might not always agree on everything, the early church did not either. But what does this mean for us here practically here today? Well, today, we're going to share with you next week some really practical ways on how we can actually come together. Next week, I'm going to talk about hospitality and the importance of actually practicing hospitality. Here's a heads up. I'm going to invite you to invite someone over to your house, actually. Okay? So you can plan for that. Maybe invite them over for lunch next Sunday. I know that's kind of an old school uh, Christian thing to do. But sometimes old school Christian things to do are the best. Amen? So I think this is a really good thing. Practically, we're going to look at that next week. But what does this mean for us here today? Because I think this idea that we are better off together, I think it's something many of us can agree to in principle, right? We're like, yeah, that sounds about right, because it is, okay, because it's the Bible. But then when it comes to actually practicing it, it becomes really difficult. Like, we might say, yes, we should come together with our differences until you're forced to actually like somebody who is different than you. That's when it becomes difficult, right? When someone might believe, vote, think, behave differently than you. All of a sudden, the challenge is, is actually putting this into practice. That I don't think many of us are going to think that the early church was wrong. I don't think we're going to say that. No, of course they were right in actually including more people, welcoming them as they are, recognizing the fact that grace binds people together. But then what do we practically do here today to start to live this out? Because I really believe this isn't something we should just know. It's something we need to practice. Well, today, I have one idea for how we might actually do that here today. And it's a simple idea. And it may be the best idea I've had or the worst idea I have ever had. We're not sure. We're going to try it out today, okay? Because here's what I think I notice in the text. That what draws the people together who are very, very different. And if you think we have divisions today, like honestly, it's, it's not much compared to what they were going through. What draws the people together is recognizing the fact that God's grace is working in both groups. That's what provides their foundational point. We read this in the text, right? That when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. And they reported everything that God has done through them. Or then Peter says this. He says, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Or he says that they are all saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Paul and Barnabas stood up, and they told stories of the miraculous works that God did among the Gentiles. That it's hearing the stories of God working in people's lives that bring them together. 
So today, I want to try to do that in a little bit of a way that might be a bit of a risk today. I want to actually spend some time to share stories of God's grace with one another. So here's what we're going to do today, okay? And I know I'm not pitching this incredibly well, but that's okay. What we're going to do today is something that we will probably never do again. That's my commitment to you, okay? What we're going to do today in just a few moments is I'm going to actually ask you to get to know someone around you, which I know as soon as I say that, all the introverts in the room, myself included, want to leave. Amen? That's a joke because introverts don't want to say amen. They're not going to, okay? See, see how I did that there, okay? I, I, I get it. I, I do. Because if I was at a conference and this happened, I would get up and leave instantly, okay? But here's also what I believe. We are not at a conference. We are at a church, amen? And I actually think that we need to get, in the, we need to get out of the habit of believing you can attend church anonymously. That's actually not really church. So today what we're going to do is I'm going to invite you to get to know someone around you, to share your name, where you're from, and to answer this one question of when have you experienced the grace of God in your life? And as I said, I know introverts are going to be a little bit nervous around this. Extroverts think this is the best Sunday that has ever happened, okay? But here's why I want to invite you to do this. That I think that belonging is actually a little bit of a risk. That to belong together, we can't actually remain isolated from one another. We actually have to take a risk and be vulnerable with each other. That our three values here at Bethany, if you're brand new, they are grace, vulnerability, and discipleship. Which means we believe that God's grace is active in everyone's life. Amen? We want to share stories of that. We also think it's important to be vulnerable and to do the hard, right things that God might invite us to do. So practically what we are going to do in just a moment is this. There's going to be a timer that's going to come up on the screen. And we are just going to get to know the people around us for only five minutes. Just five minutes. That's my promise for you. Okay? And as I said... As I said, I know if you brought a friend today, you're like, why did I choose today? I, I get that. Why did we not come, you know, to the free barbecue like two weeks ago? I, I know, I know, I know. But here's also what I think. I actually think what's going to draw us together is getting to know one another and knowing how God is working in our lives. I don't think we're ever going to be able to overcome this crisis of belonging in our culture, in our world around us, unless we actually get to know each other and some of how God is moving in our lives. So I'm going to invite you to move around in just a moment to get to know someone, share where you're from, how long you've been here, and share a story of when you experienced God's grace. But here's just my last little bit of practical advice. Today I get that there might be people who when I ask that question of when have you experienced God's grace, you might say to yourself, I don't know. Or maybe I haven't. Or maybe even I don't even believe in God. I want to invite you that if that's you today, you can just share that with someone else too. We believe in vulnerability, and honestly, vulnerability is courageous. So if that's you today, you can just share that with the person you're with. And here's my advice for you. If someone shares that with you, just thank them for being courageous enough to be honest. Amen? Right? That's all you need to do. And then maybe, if you're comfortable, even just ask them if you could pray for them this week at some point, that they could just experience the grace of God. So we're going to try this for five minutes, because I just think, actually, if we're going to be better off together, it actually means getting to know one another. So I'm going to invite you to move around, say hi to somebody you have not met before if you can. You might actually need to not look at me and to turn around and see other people, which is, I know, a new thing. And then share one story of when you met God. Ready? Three, two, one, break. All right. So I'm going to have to cut you all off. The extroverts are all upset. Introverts are like, thank you. That was the longest five minutes of my life. I understand that. Okay. Yeah, who wants to pay attention to me? It's fine. 
So here's my, uh, my promise. Uh, if you love that, that's awesome. If you didn't, we're not doing it next week, okay? So uh, that, that's happening too. I know if this is like your first Sunday, you might be like, do they do this all the time? Literally, I've been here seven years and we have never done this before, okay? But thank you for risking that at least for uh, myself. My moment of grace, if you wanna know when I experienced grace, was just then when this wasn't the most disastrous thing we had experienced, okay? So I wanna thank you for, uh, for trying that. I wanna thank you for being here with us with that. Uh, a few things kind of before we go here today. If you're online, you can actually share maybe when you experienced Christ in our comments. We would love that to know about that as well. But then two things before we end. Uh, one, uh, today we want to encourage you to continue getting to know one another. So if you want to go out into the pavilion, there's coffee and there's actually pizza there. If you want to purchase pizza for $1, we let you know. Uh, we invited you last week to bring like a picnic lunch to just plan to stay. I know it's 1030, but honestly, there's never a bad time for food and for hanging out. So please uh, be there for that. Next week, I want to encourage you to invite someone over to your house. And then to close today, I want to name something that's kind of fun that we don't often do. Today is actually the anniversary of Martin working here at our church, and it is his 15-year anniversary uh, today. So Martin's over there. So can we just say thank you to Martin? And then, dude, don't worry. Uh, pizza is on me today for you. Okay, there you go. So, uh, so we'll do that here today. Uh, why don't we stand for a closing benediction here this morning with us here today? Okay, I just want to read to you, again, the words of Peter where he stood up and he shared something I believe that's important for all of us. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone want to say amen to that? Amen. amen. And as always, if you have uh, any prayer needs whatsoever, there are people off to my left through those doors there at, uh, in our prayer room. Or if you want to give, you can go to the Give Wall or the Welcome Center if you're brand new. But hope to see you outside in the pavilion and getting to know more people. As always, grace and peace. Bye-bye.